So we are in a series that we're calling Ecclesia. Uh, Lee and I have been kind of tag-teaming this series, and um, we're rethinking the way that I think we expect to think about church. Uh, we're changing the metrics. We're changing what you might expect whenever you, you have a series on this, because our, our hope is, is not that we have a generic church. I don't think many places in America need, quote-unquote, another church. We don't need, you know, to, to have yet another 501c3. We don't need another charity organization. We don't need to reinvent this wheel. But yet, there's something about the people that are called to minister in a certain area. There's people that are called and released and blessed in a certain community that, that really do matter. And I think that uh, a lot of the models that we use to think about church break down. A lot of times whenever you read church growth books or if you listen to the, this and those leadership seminars and all these things that people throw at you, uh, one of the metaphors people often use is to talk about businesses, you know, running the church like a business and, and how you have to do marketing and HR and strategy and the way that you have to think about a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, all these things. And they're meaning to equip the church to do well in today's world. And I, I understand that. But I think we struggle because the church is not a business. Above all things, it is not a business. We're not in the business of selling anything. We're not trying to market anything. Uh, we glorify Jesus. And I think for that reason, you know, there's really no perfect model that you can come into a community and you can say, well, this is what we should do, and this is the way that the church needs to be in this location. Well, if you're, if you're planting in suburban America, this is what you need to do. Or if you're planting in, in rural communities, you need to do this. Or in city communities, you have to do that. I don't think that ever works out well because what I see is that it's more like a life that has to be nurtured. You know, you can think about the bride and how the bride grows in, in this relationship and how you grow together and you learn about each other and how you prosper in this marriage. And that's kind of the way that the church works. Or I think conversely, it is like this garden, like a, not to beat a dead horse with this metaphor, but, you know, like a vineyard, you know, where it's going to take the, the flavor of the soil and the air and the light, whatever is happening in that community. Right. And it's going to really matter. I, I'm always fascinated by this fact about grapes, right? We have all these different strains of wine, and you think, oh, it's got to be the process and all this stuff. It's named after the dirt that it grows in, you know, because it flavors it. Because there's something distinct about the soil there. Leah went to, uh, to Italy with her sister, and she said the tomatoes there were amazing. I'm like, the tomatoes were amazing? <laughs> because the tomatoes were amazing. And talking to the locals, you know, why would that be? And they say it's the soil the soil. It's what they grow up in. And I think the church, where we find ourselves, the church, this church, where we find ourselves, we can't follow the model set to us by anybody except for the Holy Spirit, which means whenever we come and we have a five-year plan, a 10-year plan, we have to ask the Holy Spirit, what are you doing here? What are you doing through us? What gifts are you bringing to the surface here? How are we working together as a community with the people in this room now and the people that will be joining with us? What are you releasing us to do in this day, in this age, in this community? It's one of the reasons why the, the little vineyard statements that we have out there, one of the reasons why relevant community matters. You know, culturally relevant matters because we're not planting a church in the 18th century. You know, we're not planting a church in New York City. We're planting in Holly Springs. And we are still planting because we're still figuring this out. We're still learning what God are, are you doing here as you add to us, as you bring in new people. How are you shaping us? How are you forming us? We've talked about a number of, of different things so far, but um, 
I'm going to talk about being my brother's keeper this morning. I want to ask you, frankly, who do you live for, church? Who do you live for? We talked about the, being the church of the living dead. We are alive, thankfully, everybody in this room, uh, in more ways than one. You know, we're, we're alive physically. We're alive spiritually. We're the living dead, though, in the fact that we've given our life over to the resurrection power of Christ. We have died with him. We've we united ourselves with his death, that we can also be united with him in his resurrection. That's the beauty and the mystery and the wonders of, of baptism, is that we're united in his death and united in his resurrection. So now we live, but not for ourselves. But who do you live for? Worldly wisdom, as we said, is going to teach us to live for yourself because you can't depend on another person to make you happy. So we learn selfishness out of fear, and we call that wisdom. Well, I just have to take care of my, myself because whenever, you know, whenever I get older, there's not going to be anybody to take care of me. I can't trust this body. I can't trust this government that we have. I can't trust this company I've been working for. I have to take care of my own. That's the worldly wisdom. And it is wisdom because that's what they've learned is you can't trust and you can't rely on that. So you've got to take care of yourself. We might say that, that a good man lives for his family. A good woman lives for her family. A good child, you know, is going to be in this community, and, and they're going to be a part of this where they can rely on their parents. We're going to see that as this form of love and, and something that, okay, a good situation like that with loving parents, with a, this community, this, this local nuclear family, that's a, a good thing. But Christ teaches us with his words something more. With Christ's words, he tells us that greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends for his friends. He lays down his life for his friends. But by Christ, not his words, but by Christ's life, we see this. While we were still sinners, he died for us. That's not yet the friends. That's not this nuclear family. Christ's words and his actions show us an expression of the kingdom that is confounding to earthly wisdom, that is selfless with its abandon. That is utterly and totally free from fear and trying to, to build up his own kingdom because he lays it all down. And by laying it down, we see this beauty, we see this life prosper and come to the surface as it was always meant to be. So scripture begins with this question, you could argue, am I my brother's keeper? This is, of course, what, what happened after... Cain killed his brother Abel, and, and the Lord saw this. He, the Lord knew what happened. <laughs> the Lord knew what happened, but he said, where is your brother? And Cain, you know, full of probably shame and guilt and not knowing exactly, did I get away with this or not? You know, he, he just answers, you know, am I my brother's keeper? Am I responsible for that guy? Do you look at me and you say, I have to be mindful of all these people around me? Is that what I'm called to do? The Lord answers, your brother's blood cries to me, He's saying yes. And you read the rest of Scripture, it's like this resounding answer to this question. Am I my brother's keeper? And Scripture says yes. We see that in the very beginning of Scripture, but it's not the last time we see it. Whenever they're coming to Jesus, they ask him the same question with different words. Who's my neighbor? Okay, I get you want me to love some people. You want me to love my neighbor. How far does that go? <laughs> like, we're talking about just like my next door neighbor, right? Like, I have to love them. 
but like two doors up, they're on their own, right? <laughs> like, like I only have to care about myself and then they'll take care of the next people in the chain and that, that's as, as far as that goes. What we're saying to God again and again and again and what we still say to God by our actions, by our wisdom, is I don't want to be responsible for them. I don't want to be responsible for my brother. I don't want to be responsible for my neighbors. I don't want to be responsible for strangers. John Donne had some wisdom when he penned the famous line, no man is an island to himself. There's a connection going on here, and, and we're all in this, in this thing together. We are. We're all in this thing together, whether we know each other, whether we don't, whether we love each other, whether we don't, whether we agree with the same things, whether we don't. We have a responsibility here. We've talked about unity. We've talked about radical hospitality. We talked about the church of the living dead. And now we're going to be talking about this responsibility we have one to another, not just in this room, not just to the unbelievers that we encounter, but specifically, I want to say, to brothers and sisters in Christ who aren't in this room here today. Has it ever dawned on you that you are responsible spiritually to God for other people? For instance, if I allow any turning away from God in my private life, everyone around me suffers. Have you ever thought about that? This isn't because I, Josh, am speaking as a pastor. This is me saying this for you. Have you ever considered your spiritual responsibility you have for those people around you? That if you allow anger, bitterness, envy in, that that spiritually affects the people around you, the people that encounter you. Romans 14 for none of us lives for ourselves alone. None of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord. And if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. We're not alone in this thing. When I was talking about the living dead, you thought I was done. <laughs> this is something that I keep coming back to again and again in my own life. This is something that I think the church needs to embrace and understand that, that this goes beyond metaphor. This goes beyond a, a, a simple statement. And this goes beyond a, a statement or a prayer that I made one Sunday or something that I did. This frames our understanding of sinfulness and holiness and unity, and culture, and church, and all of these things come together because we are set apart, church. We are called out from life to death and back to life again. That's what it is to be called out from this. We are called to lay down these lies that we've built for ourselves and to give them one to another, to build the church, the called out ones, because of what we've done together. Let me say this because I know this can seem overwhelming. You know, often we'll, we'll say to each other, I'm just trying to get through today. I'm just trying to get through my own life. I, I have enough problems on my own. You know, I have to pay bills. I'm, I'm trying to take care for my kids. I'm trying to provide for retirement. I want to make sure that I have, you know, the minimal amount of debt so that I don't pass that on to anybody else. I don't share this. And if I can get through this day without snapping somebody's head off in traffic, then I'm doing pretty good, right? Can't you give me that credit? And we're saying, I need help on my own with that. You know, it's hard enough that I need help, 
praying for my issues, repenting of my sins, trying to be wise and kind and patient. That's a full-time job. And then we say that the church has to be a light. Okay, fine. <laughs> I can understand that. I, I need to try to, to be a good image, a good example of Christ. I get that it goes one step further than that. And now you're saying that I'm responsible for other believers as well. And it feels like too much. Like, where does this stop? And I want to say, church, whenever we get to that point, realize how much of this burden we have been putting on ourselves. Realize how much of this we are trying to manufacture. Realize how much of this you think you need to try to, to sum up or you need to try to, to shore up. You need to flex your faith muscles and try to make something happen instead of being who you are. And what I want to tell you, that's the difference. Once you have died to yourself, once you have truly died, not, not just suffered a little bit and called it, whew, that was close, I barely got out of there alive. But when you have truly died to yourself, when you've truly been resurrected again, then you have life where you can just be. Where you can be. Where sin doesn't have that same hold on you before. Where your attitude is given to you by Christ. I, I, I had a, a very selfish and, and bad time this week. And I went out into my, my backyard and I set up a hammock and I was laying there praying and, and I pulled a book out of me. And I, I keep talking about this book because it's going to take me forever to get through. The Brothers Karamazov. And, and I, he, he, I hit this point in this guy where he was talking about repenting to the birds. I was like, what in the world is he talking about? And I read those words and I look around and there's birds chirping around me. And he goes on to talk about the beauty to be found everywhere. That once you actually start looking for this, you can find it. And I just kind of like almost to, to prove it wrong, I just swept my hand down the hammock and I pulled up a stick, a twig. And you know, this isn't to sound poetic. This isn't to, to go over the top. But there was beauty. There was beauty in this broken stick that had once brought life and leaves and flowers. And I saw it, and it was just like I could see this place in creation where all of this started to make sense in a beautiful, wonderful way. And I was broken off, and how seeing what is going to happen with this, and my imagination's going, I'm like, dang it, God, you're here too. <laughs> I, where can I go from your presence? You speak to me through twigs. You speak to me through books. You're bringing all these things together, and I still have death to, to walk through. I still have death to myself I need to do. And church, I want to tell you, there's freedom on the other side. There's freedom on the other side. But we have to pick up our cross daily. We have to die daily. We have to walk this out daily. Lee and I uh, sometimes talk about our, our high school clubs one to another. We didn't know each other in high school, but we had uh, in some ways some very similar things. Anybody here do like beta club when you're back in school? You remember these things? Yeah. And so Beta Club, National Honor Society, whatever, whatever you have for this, often what they'll have, I know Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, you probably have this as well, you've got some sort of community service project, right? You've got to do something to like get your hours credit so that you can get your ribbon, get your sash, get some, something that you need to do to move on. And so uh, she went to a school where, where she was uh, one of the leaders in the Beta Club. And she talked about how there wasn't enough service hours for everybody to go around. They had a few projects, but like if everybody tried to do those projects, it simply didn't work. And so she began organizing that this one project and trying to figure out how can we get other people. If we buy, if, we are, if we're going to support these families through like an angel tree, you know, then somebody's got to do the wrapping, somebody's got to do the shopping. So how many hours can we get for all this sort of stuff? And again, it just didn't work with the size of the group. And so we got to the point where, Okay, 
give us 20 bucks. That's one hour's credit. And I was like, that was my school. <laughs> At my school, we reduced community service to, <laughs> to give, give us money and your community service is, is, is counted for. And we, we reduced it to this exchange, this financial exchange, and then you could essentially buy your community service time. And they used the money for a good cause and everything was happy, but you didn't actually walk through the process that was intended for. You know, <laughs> it's like indulgences. But, you know, it, it became this problem because we didn't know what to do. There wasn't enough things. There wasn't enough direction. And the model that we were given was that this is completely fine. You just, just tokenism, just, just give money, just, just take care of these things and move on with your life because that's it. We need money. Money needs to be a part of this thing anyway. So what's the problem with this? We're going to have this whole thing work out. The thing is, when we talk about church, when we talk about our expectations from this time, it's often about what you are going to get out of these things, right? When you think about church, when you think about the model that we're walking through, it's often, well, what's in this for me? Whenever we, we come together, when we form a body, whenever we're a part of this club, when we're part of this group, what's in it for me? How does this affect my life? Where do I go from here? So to say that this thing isn't about us, but it's a responsibility one to another. It's not about tokenism. It's not about an exchange, but it's about somehow coming together and making something else happen for somebody. So that we have a responsibility, not just to give tokens, not just to get through this thing, but to actually change this world. It's different. This is a, a quote, an actual quote by Mark Zuckerberg. A squirrel dying in front of your house may be more relevant to your interest right now than people dying in Africa. I, I hope that causes you pause. <laughs> the thing is, he's not wrong. This is what Facebook and, and a lot of social media sites were, were founded on, was this idea of catering to you. You know, the, the, the old adage that we have in, in uh, computer science and IT is that if a service is free, and there's a lot of free IT services, if the service is free, you're the product. <laughs> and that's exactly the case. You know, you're, the, we're trying to get information about you. We're trying to understand how to sell to you. You're the product, and we're going to try to sell you to other people. But so what happens from that model is this. Facebook is not primarily a news site. They're not trying to give you uh, good information or the best knowledge. Mark Zuckerberg says, a squirrel dying in front of your house may be more relevant to your interests right now than people dying in Africa. People don't want to see that. They're scrolling down through their Facebook feeds. Somebody's trying to do some campaign for kids in Africa. Ooh, scroll, scroll, scroll. A squirrel? <laughs> we get that, right? But this is an actual quote, and I hope it causes you to pause, because as the church, we don't want to coddle. We don't want to entertain. We're not trying to attract people into this thing by our, our beauty, by our comfort, by how, how precious the, these moments can be together. But we don't want to leave you satisfied with this broken world. Church, we have a responsibility, not just to the people in this room, not just even to those who are, are sinners who need to come into this. We have a responsibility to those Christians, those brothers and sisters who are spread far and wide, who are struggling, who don't know, who are in a different world than us, who have a different language than us, who have a different life experience than us. Your responsible is not a fun message. We love instead, not my circus, not my monkeys. 
reminds me of the, the punchline. And my dad told me that was so funny that it didn't need a joke to go along with it. Um, so that's the setup, all right? What, what, what's, the, what's the punchline that's so funny you don't need a joke? And my dad told me this when I was like six. I don't think it's so great, except it has this nostalgic part in my brain. So every time I think about this, I laugh. But the, the punchline, so funny it doesn't need a joke, is no, sir, that's not my wife. And the dwarf was on fire when I got here. <laughs> Is it just me? <laughs> but the idea is, again, it's I'm not responsible. I'm not responsible for this thing. Whatever is going on, don't hold me responsible. I don't want to be responsible for the problems that I see. I don't want to know about those things. I don't want to know about what's going on over there because then I might feel bad. And what could I do about it anyway? I'm just one person. I'm just, we're just a small group. We're just a beta club in, 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 a, in a high school. We're just a, a social club. We're just a book club. What responsibility do we actually have to this world? What responsibility do we actually have for the other people in this church, the universal church, the Catholic church? Am I my brother's keeper? I want to share, I, I quoted this one earlier, um, but I want to read this whole thing. This is Oswald Chambers' devotional in full. Have it, has it ever dawned on you that you are responsible spiritually to God for other people. For instance, if I allow any turning away from God in my private life, everyone around me suffers. We sit together in the heavenly places from Ephesians 2.6. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it from 1 Corinthians 12.26. If you allow physical selfishness, mental carelessness, moral insensitivity, or spiritual weakness— Everyone in contact with you will suffer. But you ask, who is sufficient to be able to live up to such a lofty standard? Our sufficiency is from God and God alone, from 2 Corinthians 3.5. You shall be witnesses to me, from Acts 1.8. How many of us are willing to spend every bit of our nervous, mental, moral, and spiritual energy for Jesus Christ? That is what God means when he uses the word witness. But it takes time, so be patient with yourself. Why has God left us on the earth? Is it simply to be saved and sanctified? No, it is to be at work in service to him. Am I willing to be broken bread and poured out wine for him? Am I willing to be of no value to this age or this life except for one purpose and one alone, to be used to disciple men and women to the Lord Jesus Christ? My life of service to God is the way I say thank you to him for his inexpressibly wonderful salvation. Remember, it is quite possible for God to set any of us aside if we refuse to be of service to him, lest when I've preached to others, I myself should become disqualified from 1 Corinthians 9.27. We're responsible. We have a responsibility. And that's not like this wonderful, let's go get him guys call. It's a sobering reality. This is why when Jesus came, he didn't just walk out and say, well, whew, I got, I got my 10,000. I got some saints. All right, well, let's just call this whole thing off now. We're, we're, we're done. He left us here. We are his hope. He gives us his spirit. He equips us with his love, his patience, his kindness, his gifts, that we could be the expression that the world needs that we together can be the ecclesia, the called out ones, equipped for this purpose. The early church was marked by giving and loving and serving each other. We're in this together. Leah talked about this well with the unity and our fellowship and our togetherness. 
But the early church actively, regularly supported their sister churches. And I think sometimes, before I, I go on with that, I want to address that language. We use that language very loosely, very free. Our sister churches. We talk about our, our sister churches in this area. We talk about our sister churches up and down the road and across the country and across the world. But the thing is, calling somebody a brother and sister, but not acting like it, and I think worse, not acting, but not intending to act like it. If you have a brother or sister, how do you treat them? Oh, we send Christmas cards once a year, you know, or we have problems. We just don't talk about that. You know, we, we, we went through a really difficult time, and we just don't really worry about that branch on our family tree anymore. When we use that language, brother and sister, which Christ used, which the church has used for ages, which we still use today— let us use it with meaning and purpose and intent. When we talk about our brothers and sisters in Christ, let's use that with intent, not to reflect the brokenness of this world, but to reflect instead what that actually means, that you are a close relationship to me, that we're in this thing together, that I'm my brother's keeper, that I have a responsibility to you because this is what life has done. It's brought us together. We share blood. It's Christ's blood, but we share blood. We have a common name. It's his name. We have a common purpose. We have the family business, and we're going to be faithful to that cause. So when we use that language to talk about brothers and sisters in Christ, let us not let that be a pat answer, something that we just say, oh, isn't that nice? Don't we talk well about each other? I consider you close, like family. I'm not going to, you know, invite you to my house, but I, I consider you like a brother, we, we've, uh, we talked about this before. I was so confused growing up with my, my Aunt Karen because she was Native American and I was not. And I went to a family project and I, I did fill out, you know, how, what, where does your family come from? And I remember saying, well, let's see, my, my Aunt Karen, she's like 100% Native American, so that me, it must make me, what, 25%? I don't, I don't know how this math works out. F only finding out later, she's not really my aunt. <laughs> She was just a really close family friend that, that we loved, and we called her aunt. And I, I love that that line was blurred for me. I, I really do. You know, that, that, that I, I grew up believing her to be family because of the way she was welcomed into our house. Because the way we talked about her, the way we loved her, the way that, that we did this thing together. And I think church, the church has been guilty of using language loosely when actually the language betrays what this should be like. We're our brother's keeper. We're responsible for those. And that's why I love the fact that the vineyard is an empowering movement. It started off not as a church planning movement. It started off as an equipping movement. Going to the existing churches and saying, do you know, church, if you could be fully alive, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for you today, and God wants to give them to you. You think that the best that there can be is that you sit in a service, you sing some songs, and you listen to a sermon, then you go back to your life? Let me tell you, church, no. There's life of the Spirit to be had. There's gifts of the Spirit to be used. And when you use them, you are fully alive. When you're actually active in the work of the Holy Spirit today, it's life as it was intended to be. We then are the ecclesia. We are then the church, not by name only, but by design, by purpose, by intent, by heart. And you will feel it and you will know it. Church, what a wonderful world to wake up to. 
So we talk about sister churches or brothers and sisters in Christ, and we talk about them down the street and overseas the same way. But the Bible tells us how shameful it is for us to neglect our family. 1 Timothy 5. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. I don't know about you, every time I come across that one, ooh, that one hits. That one hits. And I, I, I don't want to go overboard and, and trying to make this about sister churches, though I, that is the way I want us to understand this. If we use this language to talk about our brothers and sisters in Christ, I think we've got to remember this. And now, if we have problems in our own family, I think we also have to remember this. This is a calling that we have, a responsibility that we have. The early church actively and regularly supported their sister churches. Acts 11, 27 through 30. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. Notice the language. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Now, interesting historical note. Um, this is true. This is, this is what happened. Uh, the 4th century Orosius, William can correct me on that one. He mentions this famine in Syria, which occurred in 46 and 47 A.D., uh, it was a uh, translation was made by King Alfred of England during the Middle Ages and was quoted what's known as the Anglo-Saxon Chronicle. And the Chronicle lists British history from 1 AD to uh, 1154 AD, and it says this, AD 46, in this year Claudius, the second Roman emperor to invade Britain, put much of the island under his control and added the Orkneys to Rome's kingdom. This took place in the fourth year of his rule. In this same year, a great famine in Syria took place, which Luke mentions in his book, The Acts of the Apostles. Due to his incompetence, the Emperor Claudius Nero almost lost control of the British Isle. I love that. Just a little, little slide that in there, like due to his incompetence. <laughs> it's almost what happened here. But I love in this Acts, chapter 11, 27 through 30, as each as one was able because I think when we talk about missions, when we talk about supporting other churches, other believers, many different things come to mind. Humanitarian projects, right? We were talking about Beta Club and doing service things and, and trying to do something. You want to go somewhere. You want to build an orphanage. You want to help them out with your two hands, the sweat of your brow. You want to do something. Street evangelism, something people want to do. I go, I went to, um, to Panama when I was a, a teenager, and we did street evangelism. We, we had uh, plays and, and songs, and we did all these things on the streets. And it was amazing. You go down to Panama, you put on some some weird, fun, funky clothes, a crowd gathers around you, you share your testimony. I was 13 years old, and I shared my testimony, and just dozens of people just came forward for prayer to give their, their lives to Christ. It was a, such an effective mechanism in, in Panama back then and, and that time. Uh, strengthening the church far, far away, encouraging them, blessing them, helping them. Church, missions isn't about becoming somebody's spiritual sugar daddy. I think sometimes, again, that tokenism is what we want to do. And I use that language because I hope that it actually does strike you. We want to just give them my, we, we want to say, I've done my part. I've given you my money. Now, aren't I good? Look how wonderful this is. Look how great this whole thing is that we've made together. Some of us have money. Some of us have time. 
Some of us have encouragement to give. But each of us is responsible to our brothers and sisters. We live for them. We die for them. It's for the church, the living dead. James 4.17 in the Berean Study Bible says this, though. Therefore, whoever knows the right thing to do, yet fails to do it, is guilty of sin. This is, again, responsibility that we just don't like. It's like, but there's a squirrel dying in my front yard. Can't I just be mystified by that and, and tweet about that today? Like, like, do I have to care about all these things happening around the world? It's exhausting mentally, physically, and, and I'm more aware now. Like, you know, Paul didn't know about all these other things going on. Like, it, it was easier then. Where, don't I have less responsibility? Can't I, I have somebody else be responsible? If I just give them money, can't I just check that off my spiritual list and say, I've done my part? I know when I was growing up, I had to eat all the food off my plate because there were kids in China that were starving. And I don't know how that helped them, but I knew that that was my spiritual responsibility was to eat every bit of food on my plate so that those kids in China were somehow helped. <laughs> but how do we know, church, to go left or right? There's so much good that can be done. I think this, this verse is overwhelming to us because we're aware there's so much that could be done in my own backyard, in my front yard, in my neighbor's house, here in my community, and abroad. There's so much that can be done. Do we support Latin American churches or, or African? The thing is that this church, um, I'm sorry, church, this sermon is, is not quite an argument about what we should be doing, but an invitation to help explore this together. And like I started off saying, um, there's context here. This is something specific because Vineyard Church of Holly Springs is becoming we're growing. We're a vineyard that's finding our roots. Our roots are going down deep. We're finding things. We're beginning to, to show some leaves and some growth, and we're finding who we are, not as the generic church, but as a specific church. So we're exploring this together. Romans 10, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I hope my feet are beautiful. <laughs> what should the church in America be doing? What should our church in Holly Springs be doing? Yes, we care for our own. They'll know us by our love. And we say yes to those outside, but there's more. We have talked a lot about a sphere of influence because we can't do everything but we're faithful to what we're called to. So I'm going to start talking about Russia. How did my own interest in Russia begin? And that's a question whenever I was actually thinking through this myself, it caused me a lot of pause to remember this. And I think, as any of us who remember the 80s and 90s, Russia was the enemy. I mean, they're in every villain, you know, <laughs> that I can imagine. It's almost always this guy with a terrible Russian accent who's, you know, got this building or this airplane hijacked. And so I grew up and Russia was always the enemy. And now I grew up with the scriptures telling me to pray for my enemy. And I don't know if it's as simple as that, that I began praying for my enemy and the Russians came to mind. But I know that I began praying for Russia from a very, very early age. And I began feeling compelled to go to Russia, to be a missionary to Russia. And one day, I remember opening up the paper when I was a young teenager, and I found this picture. It's a Russian woman, a babushka, and she's on the steps receiving just an alm for the poor. And I tore it out of the paper, and I just kept it with me always. 
and began praying for her and for all Russians through her. This is the actual photo that I was praying over for years. And I kept this with me, saying, God, what are you doing? And I began feeling this, this call to be a missionary to Russia. And so I was reading books like Tortured for Christ and The God Smuggler, and all those things just excited for me, this love of this land and this call. And I didn't know what to do with it. I really didn't. All I knew was I was praying and I was hoping, and it just seemed like the Lord was saying something in this arena. And then I went off to college. I met this wonderful southern girl whom I, I fell in love with and whom I married. And she was trying to figure out what was up with this guy that she was dating and our future. And I've talked about this Russia thing. And she said, uh-uh. <laughs> She's a southern girl. She wants to stay a southern girl. Moving her even this close to the north, you know, North Carolina, was, was traumatic to her. So she's struggling about this. And she said to the Lord, I will not follow a man to Russia. I won't follow a man to Russia. If you're going to call us to Russia, there's something for that, God. You've got to call me first that I can go on my own. She says that. And about two or three months later, I think it was, she was sent to Moldova on a missions trip. <laughs> and she didn't know what Moldova was. It is a former Russian state. So she had to learn some Russian. She took Russian in college. And so she was grappling with this herself. Like, okay, so I guess it's okay to be with this guy, Josh, and, and we'll figure this thing out together. But where do we go from here? So when she went to, to Moldova, she brought me back this box. It's got a beautiful Russian Orthodox church in it. And I took this and I actually kept the picture of the Russian woman I've been praying for right in that. And this still sits on my bookshelf at home, and I pray for it often. So, we fast forward, we're married. Still not sure how this thing's going to happen. I think we're going to go to seminary. I think that we've got some story here. Maybe I'm going to be a seminary student, become a pastor, become ordained, and move off to, to be a Russian missionary. That was our thought. But the Lord sends us to North Carolina. And we go to North Carolina. I visit a vineyard church. Triangle Vineyard. The very first week we go in there, we see about three couples from UGA all around, couples that we knew from our, our fellowship back at home, didn't know that they were even in the state. We see them there, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. This is like what we had in college just here in, in Raleigh. And so we're all excited that we sit down, we hear a, a sermon that's actually talking about um, the church plant that that church has in Russia, Nizhny Novgorod. And I think, this is it. The Lord's called me to this church, and they've got a church plant going there. I will get to be involved with this, and this is going to just be a wonderful story, and, and that's going to be it. And you know what? I never heard about that church plant there again. <laughs> and I, after a few years, I, I asked the pastor, I was like, didn't I hear something about a Russian church plant? And, and there were some difficulties, some translation problems, some financial problems. Um, from everything I can understand, uh, it just was a lack of communication, and, and things kind of fell off. But at this point in time, we were involved and invested, and the Lord was clearly moving there and blessing us there, and this was something that we are called to be a part of. So I was just like, okay, I don't know still what to do with this Russia call. I got ordained there. I became a pastor there. Eventually came to do this church plant, and this question has still been on my mind. What do we do with this? And I've asked myself, like, was this just something that I misheard? Is this a call that, that was you know, just to get my heart stirred, or, or was it me? Was it something selfish? We went to um, the conference in Colorado not terribly long ago, and there was a table set up for vineyard missions, and there was a Russian partnership thing, and it said, Russia, why not now? <laughs> so I saw that, and I went, okay, <laughs> let's go see that. And so Leah saw me go over there, and she went, 
Here we go. <laughs> so I walk over to the table and I grab the brochure and I reach out to the partnership director, Ken Butcher from the Syracuse Vineyard. And we set up a phone call and he says, why Russia? What, tell me about this. And I share with him a little bit of this story. I was like, I studied the language and I had this call and the way we got involved in the vineyard in Raleigh was, was because of, of this church plant going on there. And we began speaking about it and it was just serendipitous. It was just God's timing, and things just were, were sounding wonderful. Um, and so, in short, I'm going to be going to Russia October 28th through November 3rd. Um, I'm flying to Moscow, and then I'm flying to Ufa, then I'm taking a bus to Perm. Uh, there's a vineyard church there that is having, that's exactly where you see that, Kachalova Street? Um, that's like in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> so... <laughs> I had to zoom out so you could get some context. Um, it is really, really far away. There's a, um, there's a vineyard national conference happening in Russia that I'm going to be speaking at. And the vineyard churches don't get to see each other too often. Um, they're a long way from each other. From what I understand, it was the 30-hour bus ride from one of these vineyards to the next closest. Um, they live in a context, in a culture that is utterly unlike ours. When I was talking to Kent about what I could be doing and what it means to, if we're going to be a part of this partnership as our small church, it's like, what do you need? And he's like, what we really need are, are people to, that would like adopt one of these Russian churches and these pastors and care for them. Because what they really need is, is like relationships, somebody to check in on them and, and to, to speak to them. He says, they're bivocational, every one of them. They, they want somebody, not like these American pastors who have these mega churches, but somebody who can help them figure out how to be bivocational. They have small churches, like between 20 and 40 people. <laughs> and like somebody who can understand that context, who could bless them and minister and help them through that. And they're like, street evangelism doesn't work. They, they really need power evangelism and relational evangelism to figure out how this works, even in like a work context. How can you be a Christian in this context? I was like, oh, <laughs> Let me tell you about our church. Let me tell you about the way that we've been ministering, the way that we're loving, the way that we're serving. And it just seems like the Lord is lining these things up. So I'm exploring this. I'm hopeful that this might be a, 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 an answer to a longer story. The, none of this is, is presupposed, church. None of this is saying we've made a decision, this is what we're doing, but we're exploring this. And what I'm saying is I'm inviting you to explore this together. My story has been circling around Russia for several decades now. I've never been. My language, I, I took the Duolingo app. Y'all know that thing? Wow, is my Russian bad. <laughs> but I'm going. I'm going to go and I'm going to ask the Lord, what's going on? Is this you? Is there something for the Vineyard Church of Holly Springs and this church in Perm, Russia, or one of these other churches around there? Is there going to be some pastor? There's going to be there's some relationship there. Is there something that you're doing that is actually going to be the, the best for our church and their church? Am I my brother's keeper for a church in Russia? Are we responsible to them in some way that goes far beyond sending them just token money and just saying, yeah, we support a church. We're, we're doing something faithfully. Do we have a personal story intertwined with them? Um, so I'm going. And to begin with, it's hard to, to figure out, but when the, the church was going to support the church in, in uh, Jerusalem, uh, they took up an offering, and they took it as a gift. So 
since I'm going, I'm at the very least, I am going to pay for this out of my own pocket if I have to. <laughs> um, because it's a personal exploration, but it's one that we're doing together. If you join me in this, you can support it financially. If you also want to support that church with gifts, you can support that financially. We can go there, figure out what they need, how they're, how they're doing. I'm hoping that this is going to be a longer story. Um, I'll figure out more when we come back. You know, the fact is, it's not like the third world country. Like, we could have Skype sessions with these, these churches. We could, we could talk with them. We can love them. We can know their story. We can be invested in them. Um, it's something that I think is healthy for every church to do, to get our eyes off of ourselves and focusing on something else around there. From what I understand, the context of it is going to be some, something we can relate to, something we understand. Um, they are really an island to themselves. They feel lost. Pastors feel burdened and, and, and uh, forgotten. There are so few vineyard churches there. The fact that any of these churches in, uh, in Russia want to be a vineyard is amazing and profound. I actually have their, their website that I pulled up here, um, and I actually really love one of these things here. It says, uh, our church is part of the international Christian movement, which has about 1,600 churches in more than 60 countries. The Perm Vineyard, and it talks about who they are in this whole context. They see themselves as a part of who we are. And I'm, I know they're not the only ones, but when I read that, I felt embarrassed that we didn't know it. I did. They're my brothers and sisters, and I know that they're toiling. They've never been to these national conferences I have, but you know what? Vineyard awoke something in their soul, and I feel a responsibility to them. I want to pray for them. I want to pray for this trip. One thing that I mentioned earlier on was how that church in, in Raleigh, how it planted a church in uh, Nizhny Novgorod, which is a Russian city. So when I go on this trip, there's going to be four of us going total. Uh, Kent Butcher, the, the pastor of the uh, Syracuse Vineyard, who's the, the coordinator of this Russian partnership, myself, that's two, and then the couple who planted Nizhny Novgorod Vineyard. I have no idea <laughs> if they're the same people in the same vineyard that the Triangle Vineyard had, had planted years and years ago, or if this is a follow-up or a different church or what, but it's one of those small little details that pops up that I'm just like, what, what is going on here? And now again, there's not many churches there, <laughs> not many vineyard churches there. So how much of this is overlapped and how much of this is what the Lord's calling to is, how much of this is I don't know. I, I can't even use the word coincidence. We just want to explore it together. So um, if you would, would you join with me in praying for them? But I think, church, um, as much as this is about Russia, Vineyard Church of Holly Springs, I don't want to retreat from who came to your mind whenever I said, am I my brother's keeper? Whenever we read about being faithful to those members of our own, of our own family, whenever we talk about those brothers and sisters down the street, whoever came to your mind, whatever faithfulness you have to do there, we have a responsibility. Lord, I, I stand in awe of your call, of your plan, of your direction, of the way that, that you have orchestrated lives and communities and churches the way that you have called us and stirred us, that we are not 
instigated and forgotten, but Father, that we are called to a purpose. That we have a responsibility to each other. And Father, as we, um, as we want to be serious about this, as we want to take um, responsibility for our own actions, for our own hearts, as we want to say, yes, Lord, I will be faithful. Father, would you give us that, that abounding love <laughs> that doesn't come from um, guilt or shame or a feeling of, of, oh, I guess I should, but comes from actually believing and trusting that this is family that this is good, that this is wholeness. Because, Father, I know that in a family we're interconnected. It's not just one directional love. But these ties that bind us, they're mutually beneficial. They show us in some way that, that same trinity, that same love, Father to Son, to Holy Spirit, Father May we show that to this world. May we be faithful. May we be true to who we've been made to be as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.